Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. And I'm here as never with my friend, my colleague, my co-host for the day, my wife, Becky, who's laughing at me through the whole introduction. Were you not expecting the little intro? This is going to be the worst one ever because I'm... <clears throat> I can't stop giggling already. Okay. Yeah, you have to not giggle through okay. the podcast. You know, okay. Ross just like sits there and um, I'm, frowns I'm, disapprovingly at me the whole time. Okay. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I should be all formal. <clears throat> Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's don't, so good to be here. Don't don't cough on the mic. That's a, <laughs> okay. That's a, okay. Yeah, the throat clearing thing. You got to do all that ahead of time. Okay. So I'm good now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you got your Starbies? Got it. Yeah. Got it, Ronnie. <laughs> yeah, it's a Ronnie Martin special <laughs> to call Starbucks Starbies. Uh, Becky's here with me because we wrote a book together. We believe did. it or not. Yeah, it's hard for us to believe that sometimes. So weird. Sometimes people ask us, how did you survive writing a book together? How did we survive writing a book together? Because we didn't really do it together. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. I mean. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, it means I wrote my half and you wrote your half and here we are. Oh, yeah. We didn't like. Write each chapter side by side, right? Sort of melding our minds together, holding hands while I, the, while I typed right-handed and you typed left-handed. Whoa, that would be cool. <laughs> we should try that on the next book. Let's not. No. <laughs> <laughs> so you wrote ten chapters, and I wrote ten chapters. Correct. Which sounds like a long book, but maybe we should give some setup for this. So we have a book that's coming out in May called "Go Outside." And 19 Other Keys to Thriving in Your 20s. It's coming out from Moody Publishers. And it has a really interesting origin to it. We were asked, oh gosh, two years ago, something like that, maybe two years ago, by the student leadership at Midwestern Seminary in Spurgeon College, if we wouldn't give a little talk to the student leadership team on things we wish we had known in our 20s. I think that was sort of the the basis yeah. of it, things that we we wish we had known. Speaking to 20-somethings, what are some things that uh, you wish you could do over or things that you'd been more prepared for, et cetera, et cetera. So you and I each came up with our a little list. It was three things each, I think. Right. And the idea was uh, we'll just go back and forth spending you know five minutes on each of our things and give a 30-minute talk altogether. And I don't even remember what – do you remember what the original – what your three things were? I, I don't. I don't. I don't remember which three. No. I picked. No. Okay. Must have been super important. I don't remember my three. Well, all either. ten of these are important <laughs> to me. <laughs> one. One of mine, I think, was the thing on imputation, which became basically the twentieth chapter of the book. I think that was one of mine for sure. Was was about you are not only as good as what you haven't done. I think that was pretty important thing to me. But in any event, I posted on Twitter. When we were done, we just gave this talk. Here are the six things that we think or we we wish we'd known in our 20s. And Drew Dick, editor at Moody Publishers, reached out and said, hey, would you be interested in maybe turning this into a book? I think this would be a neat book idea. And I brought the idea to you, and your first response was? Not doing it. (laughs) Not doing it. (laughs) Uh, And why was that? Why didn't you want to write the book? Because I'm not a writer. Well, I mean, 10 chapters will say otherwise, I think. You know, it doesn't. That's 10 chapters of me 
trying to be obedient, but going, Lord, please don't ever ask me to do this again. Obedient to me or no, obedient to Drew Dick? Or no. So, okay. So you rem- you know this. So definitely did not want to do it. Completely shut it down immediately when you first asked me because I said, I'm not a writer. This is not my lane. I'm not doing it. Whatever. And then I felt convicted and guilty. So I prayed about it and I felt like the Lord was telling me to do it. And then, so I said, yes, but I said, please, Lord, just this once, because I still am not a writer. And I mean, I'm not stupid. I can put words together in a way that makes sense, but that's different than being a writer. And I just have too much respect for actual writers to play at it. And that doesn't mean I want to not do any hard thing because it's hard. So I try to always go, okay, Lord, are you really asking me to do this? It's going to be hard, but I'll trust you. But on the other hand, I, I I believe in staying in your lane, too. I think the Lord gave us gifts, and He would like us to operate within those gifts, and we bring Him the most glory when we when we serve the way He gifted us to do so. So that's the long way of saying I'm not a writer. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there's probably real writers, I guess, out there listening who are like, they're really bummed and angry with you for like I this know. falling in your lap. And I like, know. I'm not a writer, I, but I get to write a book. Well, basically. and I had I actually had a, a long back and forth with Trillia Newbell, uh-huh. who actually asked me if if I'd be interested. And in, she as she was working through she's this an book, editor at Moody as well. Yes, yeah. and as she was working through this book, she asked if I would be interested in writing one on my own, and I just said basically all the stuff I just said to you. And I told her, I said, I'll pray about it. And if the Lord tells me to, I will. She left the conversation open, but I said, I just, yeah, I I don't, I'm not being flippant. I'm not, you know, I'm not not honored and I appreciate this, but yeah, I I know that there are some people that are like, you brat, but all the more reason I don't want to be like, well, I'll just write it because somebody, you know, no, there are real writers who who are much better at this than I am and probably have better things to say. And I fully understand that and appreciate it. So, so all you quote unquote real writers out there, if you're tempted to be irked by, uh, you know, jobs coming Becky's way and she's just turning them down. (laughs) Think of it this way. Like she's leaving work open for you. She's (laughs) not wanting to crowd the lane. She's wanting to say like, here's the lane that you guys should, should run in. But in any event, we wrote this book together it's a short book. 20 chapters sounds like it's really long, but it's actually designed to be compelling to high school grads, late teens, those going into 20s, 20-somethings, college grads, college age, young singles, young adults. I don't even know what the term is. When we were this age in the churches we grew up in, they call it college and career. You don't hear that phrase too much anymore, college and career. It's no. I think young adult. Young probably. adult. Yeah. But even young adult, like I wrote a young adult novel a couple of years ago, and that's High school, supposedly. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So I don't, I don't know if college students. I mean, they're technically young adults, but I think that's a category. We'll just so. say it's appropriate for anyone younger than us who doesn't want to learn the hard way, <laughs> like we did. Well, if you're thirties, you're probably not picking up the book because you're like, well, this is for my twenties. Like that ship has sailed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we have written it for those who are entering into independence, adulthood, going to college, about to start college. That period of differentiation from, you know, from the home of their upbringing. And basically what we did was we each took our three things and we expanded those out to 10 things each. And we wrote these short chapters. Each chapter is about a thousand words long. So the whole book is 20,000 words or so, which if you don't know how long a regular book is, a normal book is, Christian living books that I write, like a trade book would usually be around 50,000, 60,000 words, something like that, sometimes longer. So this is a short book, 20 short chapters, so it's easily readable. 
would not be intimidating. And we've written it really to be designed for churches, families, others to give away, to give to young people, again, who are entering late teens and into their early 20s and and mid-20s as a guide. And the idea is we're kind of going back in time in some respects and thinking, what are the, the things we wish we had known? In the introduction, kind of set up the idea of, you know, Solomon and Ecclesiastes kind of writing to his younger self. Gosh, these are the things I wasted my time chasing the wind, doing all of these things. And if I had known, what are the things I would do differently? And so we just alternated each writing chapters. You took about a year to write your 10 <laughs> chapters. Because <laughs> I'm not a writer. <laughs> um, but no, that just means that there's more thought. There's more loving care okay. in, in your chapters. Um, and we alternate. So I just thought what we do is just kind of talk about some of those chapters and we can get some sort of insight into what's in each one. So let's start with the title. So the original working title for us was just something like Notes to Our Younger Selves. The title boring. eventually became Go Outside. What did you say? I said boring. Boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess nobody would want to read that. So now the title is Go Outside, dot, 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 and 19 other keys, et cetera. But the go outside actually comes from one of the chapters. It comes from one of your chapters. It does. Which is about go outside. I, I didn't choose that, by the way. But I'm pleased with it. Well, yeah. Well, why don't you um, tell us what the chapter on go outside is all about? Yeah. It's just about, I don't at all knock electronics. I think it's great to have resources in the palm of our hands all the time where we can look things up and, and re- do research and study and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, the Lord created this whole big, great gorgeous, amazing world. And I think there's so much to be learned from spending time in nature, from looking at the sky, from sitting still and just observing things. I tell people all the time, and they probably think I'm crazy, but I I do think this is true. I think that you can be alone in nature and see things that the Lord really intended just for your eyes only. And those are gifts, man. We need to take personally the things that He does, the, the way He puts these beautiful things right in the path of our sight even when we're not looking for them, and just recognize that as a gift of His love for us, His grace towards us, the the ways He wants to speak to us, and just put joy into our lives, even in moments when we've got 12 research papers due or whatever. You know, take a break. Get away from the computer screen and just go, I don't know, watch a butterfly or a little bunny or a, or a deer or a sunset, you know, something like that. I think it speaks to our hearts more than most of us even realize. Yeah, and that's important too, not just, I mean, there's a, numerous studies that have been coming out over the last several years about the effect of being constantly looking at screens and the effect of of even like phones. So, you know, a friend of the program, a friend of mine, Chris Martin, has a book that I think just came out or is about to come out about the wolf in their pockets. And it's essentially speaking to the impact. Um, and it's very data-driven, very research-based about the impact of smartphone on the development, mental and emotional, of teenagers. And so it's a sort of a cautionary tale. And, you know, this is a short chapter. It's a thousand words. But it's basically kind of taking the positive angle instead of just, you know, your chapter is not like, here's all the terrible things about screens. No, it's basically, you know, step outside, be under the sun, look at what God has created, enlarge your vision. I think there's, an, you know, an import for worship there and a sense of broadening, strengthening the affections for Jesus that's there. but. Really, you I mean, I've noticed a difference, probably you have as well, in the last 20 years or so, in the number of kids who play outside, like in the neighborhoods we've lived in, that has drastically changed. I mean, we've lived in neighborhoods, are like, yeah. are there children in this neighborhood? And yeah. there are, but they're all inside, inside. all the time. It's sad, yeah. yeah. 
So, you know, this is sort of a thing that we just want to remind, just, just sort of a gentle prodding of, man, go outside and, you know, take in what's around you. Uh, some other samplings from the book as, as well. I have a chapter on pornography, you know, largely aimed at young men, but it's not just a, a young male thing anymore. It's increasingly a problem for young women. But just a short chapter of kind of helping young people see that pornography is not just sort of a, a frittering of time, but it's actually in the same way that the way our habits shape us. It's more toxic than people realize. So I think most Christian young adults who would pick the book up would know that the use of pornography is a sin, but I don't know that they would know that the depth of the devastation that it can cause in their life beyond just this individual personal use. We usually just sort of think of these things like, ah, it's just a you know, personal sin, it's just an individual sin. If I, I can keep it hidden, or even if it's found out, you know, I can be held accountable and those sorts of things. But we don't really see like the impact on our future wives and future families, on our hopes and aspirations, and even just our own, our own sexuality and our own drive, those sorts of things. I've got a chapter on using the energy while you have it, sort of a chapter that encourages against laziness, which can be, I think, somewhat prone in my 20s. I think I was lazy a lot. And I think it's a time where, especially if you don't have much drive or if you're not sure what you're going to do with your life, you can kind of coming out of the high school years where everything is sort of programmed for you. You know, you've got a schedule that's dictated to you, those sorts of things. Then you leave home and maybe you're kind of figuring out the college thing or just your own life. And the temptation is just to kind of put it in neutral as a response to, you know, the hyper scheduling of your teenage years. And so just trying to encourage young people to use the energy while you have it because it doesn't last forever. And so it's really a waste to not use your youthfulness for the glory of God. Let me ask you about another one of your chapters, which is basically never try to be the expert in the room. How about that one? This is chapter 11. What, what do you mean by that? Never be yeah. the expert in the room. Uh, I mean, it's just the, the idea of always, always learning. And no matter how old you are, I think there's no time limit on that. Even, I mean, I just turned 50 years old and I think I still should be learning, always learning. So it's the idea that even if you are sort of the quote unquote expert on whatever topic you're discussing, you still need to ask questions of those around you because even if you have the most sort of book knowledge or the most learned information, there are still experiences from everyone else in that room that can contribute to the conversation. And so, again, even if you know the most about the specific topic, you don't know how it relates to the, each of these people. You don't know about their backgrounds, their cultural relationship to whatever the topic is, all that kind of stuff. So I think it's just important to be always a learner and always someone who asks questions more so than just sort of dealing out information. Yeah, that's good. That's important. One of my chapters is on chasing your dreams. This is chapter eight in the book. It's called Chasing Your Dreams is Overrated. And this is really sort of my response to, I think, an increasing trend. And maybe it's tied into the social media type thing, but not always. The idea of like, gosh, you have these aspirations, ambitions, and even sometimes things that I think are shaped by our culture and not necessarily by scripture to be a big deal or to be an influencer or something like that. And even sometimes if it's not, you know, to be a famous person or, or something like that, it's that, you know, chasing your personal individual aspiration is where the satisfaction lies. And I think sometimes we set our young people up for failure by 
telling them you can do anything that you put your mind to and right. all these sorts of things. And then they face the hard, cold reality of life. And our Savior tells us in this world, you will have trouble. And there are times, I think, where we face setbacks and just the normal course of being frail people in a fallen world. And we're like, man, everyone for 20 years has been telling me I could do anything that I want to do. And I'm a you know unique, beautiful snowflake and there's nothing, you know, <laughs> and then you know, real life kicks in and I think it can lead to some kind of discontentment and maybe even depression. I thought about this, actually, we were just traveling this past weekend and we're walking through the airport and there was a kid's area. I don't know if you saw this. Mm -hmm. I forget which airport it was in. There was a kid's area. I think it was in the Boston Logan airport. There was like a kid's playground type thing, indoor playground in the, and it was all based around sort of like media or being like it was a, a fake studio of some kind. There was a bit, there was a giraffe painted and as we walk by, I can see there's this big thing, this big sign. And it was basically, I'm going to be famous someday is what it said on the mm -hmm. wall. And I thought, this is the dream we hold out for young people. And then I saw someone in the same, you know, two, three day span, someone on Twitter posted a graphic of a child's toy. It's like a wooden toy thing, but it was basically baby's first video blog kit. Yeah. There, I, I literally <laughs> had an ad the other day for a, a podcast kit for, yeah. as pitched as an Easter gift for your kids. Yeah, right, right. So, and yeah. it was like for sm like little, yeah, yeah, little little children. Little, little, it was yeah. a fake thing. It was like here's your fake camera and your fake phone yeah. and your fake you know light that goes around the thing. And I thought this is what we're training kids to be and to think is what will give them worth and make them happy is to be an influencer or to be famous. And I think we even see this. And the difference, a relative of ours posted a thing on social media again about their classroom where they basically asked what kids wanted to be when they grew up. And there were, I think, a couple of people I saw on the board. It was basically a picture, like a chalkboard or a whiteboard, and all the kids' answers to this question. And there was a couple like, I want to be a policeman or something like that. But in our day, <laughs> we're gonna, I'm really going to sound old here. When we were kids and we were asked that question, you had a lot of like, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a policeman, I want to be teacher. a nurse, I want to be a teacher, I want to be a mom, you know, you know, things like that. Nowadays, you ask, and it's, I want to be an athlete. We had that back then, too. I want to be a baseball player, those sorts of things. But it's, it's so dominated now by, I want to be famous. I yeah. want to be someone who's famous. And I think that impact on young adults can have a detrimental effect, even if we know the reality of like, okay, statistically speaking, I'm not going to be famous. And yet we still kind of hold out like getting your dreams achieved is how you're going to find contentment and satisfaction. And so in that chapter, I'm trying to say like, man, chasing your dreams is good. It's not a bad thing, but it's overrated in the sense like it's not going to soothe your heart the way being content in the Lord can soothe your heart. So that's just one of the chapters. Let's look at another one of yours, perhaps. Here's an intriguing one. This is out of chapter 17. Learn to appreciate people more than you need them. Yeah. What's that all about? We shouldn't need people? Or? No, that's exactly <laughs> not what I said. And I think my very first line is something like, please don't read what I didn't say. Oh, okay. Which is, Sorry. I just you I should just, need people. Just and violated it. Yeah. You definitely <laughs> should need people. We all need people. We all need each other. Our churches need each other. I mean, it's just for sure the family of God, you know, we have to have support and love and care and encouragement from each other. But we should appreciate that, too. One of the examples I use is a good friend of ours named Ed, who he has cerebral palsy. Cerebral palsy. Ed so Remind, he, he's been on the program, yeah, actually. Ed Remind, I interviewed sure. him on the podcast. So, so he's in a wheelchair. He obviously needs help in many ways in his life, you know, just to get from place to place and things like that. But he 
practices Romans 12, 10 better than almost anybody I know, which to honor others and to always encourage and to always appreciate. And so the point is just, yeah, you definitely should need people, but you should also be thanking them and appreciating them and honoring them and not necessarily keeping score, but trying to return the favor, trying to love them well, you know, even if it's just through kind words or, you know, maybe you can't repay them in any way for things that they're doing for you, but just say, hey, thank you. I love you. I'm grateful that you're in my life, all those kinds of things. And, and just be someone who practices Romans twelve ten well. Yeah, that's great. I'm just going to give a rundown of the chapters here. I want to give a broader impression for those interested in the kinds of things that young people will encounter when they read the book. It's really a mix of these kind of emotional sort of things, spiritual sort of things, and some practical things as well. There's things about money management. There's things about finding mentors in the church. There's some theological, you know, more explicitly theological. Every chapter brings in, you know, the wisdom of God into each of these subjects. Uh, but there's some more explicitly theological or directly theological topics as, as well. So it really is a good sort of variety of things that we think young adults should really pay attention to. So I'm just going to read through the 20 chapters here just to give folks an idea of what young people will encounter. Chapter one is don't wait until you have time to develop healthy habits. Chapter two is use the energy you have while you have it. Chapter three is all investments require time to grow. And that's not really about financial investments, although you may use that as an illustration there. Chapter four is porn is more toxic than you realize. Chapter five is you will never regret time spent with the Lord. Chapter six is church membership isn't optional. I know that's a growing concern for a lot of ministry leaders as well. Young people who leave home, go away to college, those sorts of things. We are still facing a near 70% dropout rate. And so church leaders and parents would be interested to know that we're encouraging young people to see the church as central to their discipleship. And so even when you go away to look for a, a local healthy church, so that's what I try to do in that chapter. Chapter seven is find a mentor or two or seven, <laughs> uh, which is a cheeky way of saying, you know, get older, wiser, or more experienced people to sort of pour into your life. It, that's an important thing. Number eight, chasing your dreams is overrated. Chapter nine, take care of your mind and body. Chapter 10, take care with money. Chapter 11, never try to be the expert in the room. Chapter 12, find your friends carefully. Chapter 13 is practice hospitality. One of your expertise, maybe one of the first chapters you wrote, perhaps. Probably, I'm not sure. yeah, yeah, probably. Chapter 14, marriage won't complete you. Chapter 15 is the titular go outside. Chapter 16 is learn to be friends with Jesus. Chapter 17 is learn to appreciate people more than you need them, which Becky just spoke on. Chapter 18 is center on the gospel. Chapter 19, it is more important to be kind and helpful than to win. And chapter 20 is you are not only as good as what you haven't done, which, as I mentioned earlier, sort of speaks to the issue of being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That chapter and chapter 18 on centering on the gospel was really a, a call to a grace-centered life, rejecting any kind of performance-based or production-based Christianity, which for young people and ambitious people, people who you know maybe are thinking about religion, those sorts of things, those chapters can kind of help center on Jesus, as well as the chapter on friendship with Jesus as well. Let's talk about the cool cover for a second. I love the cover. The cover is awesome. <laughs> so what's on what's on the cover, Becky? Tell us. A sloth. There's a sloth. Um, 
Which is an interesting choice when they sent us cover options. I don't even remember what the other ones were, but the sloth one jumped out at us right away. Why did the sloth one appeal to you? Well, I mean, you know why, obviously. <laughs> I'm a <laughs> I'm a wildlife fanatic. Yeah. So I love all the animals all the time. Yeah. Yeah. But it paid and away. it's just cool and different. Okay, but and like, not boring. What's it gotta do with the book, do you think? Like What? <laughs> what's it got to do with the book? Well, it speaks to the chapter on I guess laziness, use the right? Energy you have. Yeah, yeah use I the think it's. Have. I think the idea is like slothfulness sort of, or something. It sort of ties in to go outside too. I mean, yeah. But also, it's just really cool, and it's <laughs> and it's. And it's <laughs> we made it cooler too because <laughs> right. they sent it to us. It, it was wasn't like a, very colorful. It was a black and white. It was just like a sketchbook looking yeah. sloth. It was black or white design, and we thought we said no. Yeah, get yeah. some color on that bad boy. Yeah, so we sent the idea of like. Andy Warhol, pop art sort of thing, contrast. I messed around with some color variations just in my iPhone and sent back. And they sent back in response to that really cool kind of neon. Super colorful. A neon sloth. It's like neon green and purple. Yeah, It looks really cool. And Moody's making stickers and mugs and things with that logo with the neon sloth and some. I'm 100% getting a hoodie. Okay. <laughs> you think so? I am. Okay. All right. It's already in the works. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's an eye-catching book. Uh, we've got some pretty cool endorsements on there. I think like Joel Osteen and Stephen Furtick. Stop and it. The, yeah, didn't, Stop. They, we didn't get those endorsements? Stop. No? <laughs> we didn't get the coveted Osteen endorsement. No, we've got some great endorsements from folks like the aforementioned Ronnie Martin. We've got uh, Andrea Burke. We've got Jimmy Needham, Tony Marita, and some others as well. So Barnabas Piper. Barnabas Piper. So we're excited about getting this book out there. It comes out, I think, May May 2nd. May 2nd. Okay. So it comes out first week of May, which is just in time for honoring graduates or celebrating the graduates in your life, high school graduates, college graduates as well. And uh, we we're trying to get this episode out so that folks can pre-order. Yeah, you can, it's, it's available for pre-order now. It's not an expensive book. Uh, like I said, it's not a big book. So you can go on the Amazons or one, you know any of those places where you find good Christian books and get copies. So if you're a youth pastor or college and young adults pastor, or you just got you know young people in your life, and it doesn't have to be for graduates. You know, it could just be for a young person that you want to give a a good book to. This would make a great gift for yeah for celebrating those milestones. And what are your hopes, Becky? What's your hopes for the book? What do you hope people when they read this book? Um, yeah, happen. I mean, I I just hope it's encouraging. For some reason, this makes me want to come back to the chapter on practicing hospitality because we spend a lot of time with the younger generation. We have people in our home all the time. Of course, do the pastor training center. So you're spending time with young men. I'm spending time with their wives. And a lot of times I do hospitality in big ways. That's kind of my gift. And it's the thing that I've had years and years and years to practice. But the chapter really focuses on the fact that you don't have to do it in big ways. And that's one of the things, you know, I want to help encourage people to say it it doesn't have to look the same for everyone. Hospitality is just a condition of the heart. And so just trying to help young people understand that these are the things that we didn't know in our 20s, but we can help you learn without doing it the hard way. (laughs) And you don't have to be at the same level that a 50-year-old woman is. When you're 23, you can have people over and serve them, you know, a pot of chili and it's totally fine or order pizza or whatever. But just to encourage the condition of the heart is sort of what we're after in this entire book. And that's the whole point of every chapter, really. I just, just want to close by reading the introduction to the book. It's it's short, but it'll give you a sort of a, a good foray into where we go with this thing. 
the introduction to Go Outside and 19 Other Keys to Thriving in Your 20s. My favorite movie when I was 10 years old was Back to the Future. It remained my favorite movie for a... <clears throat> wow. You, <were> just, <laughs> you want me to finish reading I that don't word? Know. <laughs> I got it. This is just some quality radio here. <laughs> it remained my favorite movie for a long time, all through my high school years. Even if you haven't seen it, you're likely familiar with the basic plot. Marty McFly finds himself in Doc Brown's DeLorean time machine, going back to the 1950s, and, after some inadvertent mishaps, must make sure his teenage parents fall in love in order to save himself and his family. The main idea of the movie, it seems to me, is that the hero must preserve the past to preserve the present. But as Marty discovers in the end, changing the past doesn't just preserve the present, it improves the future. This book is our DeLorean. Of course, it's a lot cheaper, and it's not as cool. You aren't as likely to impress your friends toting this thing around as you would cruising around in that sweet ride. But we're looking at this project a bit like that DeLorean. It is a time machine thought experiment of sorts, imagining how we might change the past to improve the future. Becky and I have been married now for 27 years, and we've learned an awful lot about relationships, largely through making plenty of mistakes along the way. We have two college-age daughters, and we've learned a lot about parenting in all our years of raising our girls, largely through making plenty of mistakes along the way. We have served in ministry for 30 years now, and we've learned a lot about grace and spiritual growth by, you guessed it, making a lot of mistakes. I once heard a preacher say he found the landmines in his church by stepping on them. That really resonates with me. So we imagine if we could go back and intervene in our past, if we could talk to our younger selves, what would we say? What advice would we give ourselves? We got a chance to think intently about this when the student leadership staff at Midwestern Seminary and Spurgeon College in Kansas City, Missouri, asked us to come give a talk to students on what we wish we'd known when we were their age. Becky and I each made a list of three things, and we took turns talking through each item. That project blossomed into this book. We enjoy a great life today, and we work hard in the present at making sure our future is oriented around the things of God, the things that matter most and matter eternally. But that doesn't mean if we could go back, we wouldn't help ourselves avoid some of these landmines. And that's what we want to do for you. So we want you to get in this poor excuse for a DeLorean and go for a ride with us. Along the way, we'll offer some hard-won advice from the trenches of real life. And we'll listen to some of the biblical writers who had a chance to counsel younger people they were discipling and mentoring, including at least one speaking to his younger self. Back to the Future is just a movie, of course, and a fantasy movie at that. None of us can change our pasts, but we can help you preserve your present and even improve your future. Now, I've often thought about what my past self would do if my present self could go back and talk to him. I would really want my past self to listen to me from the future. But if I'm honest, despite the desperate need I would have to avoid so much I'd be warning myself about, I'm a little worried that I wouldn't really listen. How about you? Are you listening? Well, that's the introduction. We hope that this book will bless the young people in your life. As I said, it's available for pre-order now. We do hope that you'll pick this up for the high school students, college students, young adults, college and career folks in your life. And as Becky said, we hope that it will encourage them and prepare them and, yes, improve their future by securing their present in the power of the gospel. You got anything else you want to say, share? 
can't think of anything. <laughs> can't think of anything. You're just, as much. I a po- just. I hope it's helpful. Okay. That's all. You're as much a podcaster as you are a writer. Is that what you're yeah, trying to say? That's, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Sure. Well, if you enjoy the podcast, generally, maybe not this podcast, but you know, <laughs> this episode. I did my best. Uh, yeah, she did her best, and your best is awesome. You did a great <laughs> job. You survived. You made it to the end. You'll, you'll tell me all the things you hated about it as soon as we're done recording. <laughs> if you enjoy the podcast, dear listener, give us a good review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri where we train leaders for the church.